grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today, as we've been talking about, we begin our 40-day journey through Lent together. And the timing really couldn't be better. For just as you were finally coming to the realization, uh, that is your own epiphany, if you will, that, yeah, I'm not really going to be keeping all my New Year's resolutions once again here in 2023. But now I can just shift columns and double down on all my efforts under a new label. I'll call it giving something up for Lent. More power to you if that's your desire. And it is uh, kind of fun sometimes to, quote unquote, give it up for Lent. But that may not end up any better than your New Year's resolutions. That's why we Lutherans tend to look at it like it's not so much what we give up for godly gain, but Lent it's more, is more of what God has already given up for us, namely his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And so the Lenten season, first and foremost, is a meditation on his suffering, the passion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Exactly what did Jesus give up for us? The answer is everything, everything. The Son of Man came not to be served, says Jesus, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, from Matthew 20. What then is our sole contribution to all of this? Well, sin. We simply supply the transgressions committed against the Holy God that made Christ's ransom necessary in the first place. So there's nothing to keep score of there or nothing to be proud of there either. So then Christ's work becomes, therefore, our primary focus. And that is our Lenten meditation these 40 days. You could say, tis the season not of joy, but of sorrow. A season marked by confession, contrition, and repentance. And to help us grasp that primary emphasis on Christ's sacrifice, for us, we go to the treasure chest of promises this year. That is our midweek theme this Lenten season, promised treasures. The Apostle Paul, seeking to establish them in the faith, wrote to those early Christians in Rome about the importance of being rooted in the Holy Scriptures. For whatever was written in former days, says Paul, was written for our instruction and learning, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope, from Romans 15. Hope. These promised treasures found in what we call the Old Testament were there for the early church to derive hope and strength from, that they might endure in the face of hostility in a cruel world. When you're being fed to lions, as many early Christians were, you need something to cling to. As the psalmist said, Lord, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. That should go for our final hour as well. In fact, that goes especially for our final hour. Indeed, these promised treasures have been preserved for us today by the providential hand of God to provide us too the encouragement for our souls that we need for our own life's sojourn in faith. Yes, sometimes too in the face of hostility, but also in view of our own failures and weaknesses. 
when we know our sinful nature gets the better of us again and we fail ourselves to live up to our own callings as 21st century Christians. But these treasures, like all the scriptures, don't at all point to us, ourselves, and do not point to our own resolve, no. They point to the Messiah, to Christ and his resolve for us. First, his resolve to come into our messy world to begin with. This is the Christ who tabernacles among us and lives the most extraordinary human life ever for sinners. Jesus ate and drank with sinners. Jesus laid hands on the unclean. He prayed for those who struggle with doubt. He interceded for those weak in their faith. Jesus comes for the downcast, for the lowly, and Jesus truly comes for the wicked and absolves them of all their sins, all their wickedness, so that our hearts might turn from sorrow into joy and so that we might cling to that joy. The Lord gives us visuals, tangibles, concrete objects that can serve as reminders of the eternal truths to which they point. We are calling these reminders promised treasures. Jesus himself invokes this language from Matthew 13. We hear Jesus talking with his disciples about the kingdom of heaven. And there he says, Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of his house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. I like to think of that old and new there as applying to the scriptural treasures that are found not only in the Old, but also the New Testament as well. That New Testament, Jesus will later identify as the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of all your sins. This New Covenant or New Testament, Jesus links to the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of the altar, where we receive even tonight the promised treasure of forgiveness of sins, through his body and blood. That is a promise. And that is most certainly a treasure. Thus the bread that we eat and the cup that we drink are part of the old, think Passover old, and new treasure brought out for our faith's strengthening and our soul's encouragement. The bread and the wine are also visual. Luther called them the visible gospel. They are tangible, tasteable, and They are solid, something for our faith to cling to as we contemplate Christ over this season. And they also happen to be the Lord's ordained sacrament for the church throughout all time to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Not all the promised treasures that we will look at throughout these coming Wednesdays in Lent will be what we Lutherans include in our short list of official sacraments, or ordained means of grace, but water, which promised treasure, by the way, Deacon Bob will discuss in an upcoming Wednesday, that certainly is linked again by the Lord himself to one of his ordained sacraments for the church. The tangible, visible element of water used, of course, in our sacrament of holy baptism. As we just witnessed here not too long ago, Uh, in the infant baptism that was administered. The other promised treasures 
that will be featured week to week do not rise, so to speak, to the level of sacrament, but you will certainly recognize them nonetheless as familiar objects used by our Lord himself to point to eternal truths about the kingdom of heaven. And they include light, salt, palms, and tonight's featured treasure, ashes. The traditional ashes imposed on Ash Wednesday are not considered a sacrament. So if you chose not to have your forehead, forehead smeared with oily burnt stuff tonight, you're not missing out on anything required for the admission into the kingdom of heaven or anything like that. You will, though, be missing out perhaps on getting a few strange looks from your neighbor or the checkout clerk at your local grocer should you decide to shop on your way home. Sometimes those puzzled looks are in themselves worth the extra scrubbing needed to remove all that oily grit later on. And by the way, if you don't already know that burnt oily stuff used to make the sign of the cross on your forehead tonight comes from, traditionally, last year's palm branches, as uh, the ones used on Palm Sunday to wave on Jesus the coming king as he makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem to start Holy Week. But I'll let Pastor Matt Nolte from Agora tell you the rest of that story regarding palm branches, and that will be his midweek visit with you in the coming Wednesdays. Regarding tonight's objects lesson with the imposition of ashes, we still have a bit more to say. Now, on a physical level, the palm branch ashes are mixed with, um, traditionally, oil, olive oil or whatever is convenient. Uh, this particular kind of oil, though, olive oil, is only fitting because olives are a familiar sight in Israel and a well-known fruit of the promised land, especially in prosperous times. Olive oil also happens to be exceptionally good for you ingested for a healthy body. This nutritious ingredient, olive oil, is applied to your forehead in the shape of a cross, the cross. Ironically, in Roman times, the cross was a sign of death. But in Christ, the cross has become the tree of life for all us who trust in Christ's death on the cross for them. The cross begets life to all who look to it, much like the, the serpent that Moses raised on a pole bestowed life to all who looked at it when it was raised before the people. Life, even if the one looking at the bronze serpent was bitten by a real-life venomous snake. And you can read all about that in Numbers 21. Not only does the shape of a cross on your forehead tonight point to death, but the ashes which your cross is made of, they also point to death. Job was stricken almost to the point of death too, wasn't he? The death of members of his family also surrounded him. He cries out in our Old Testament reading tonight, I have become like dust and ashes. The dust there to which Job alludes, of course, is what the Lord God made the first man, Adam, out of, the dust of the earth. And after the rebellion of both Adam and Eve in the garden, Dust is what God told them they will surely return to, just as we've recited during the imposition of ashes tonight. Dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. 
Now, do you think it's a healthy thing to be reminded of your own impending death? Or is it more healthy to not think about your death? I suppose one could go too far in either direction, couldn't they? Constant preoccupation with death just might draw you into that very abyss if you stare at it too long. But ignoring it is to our own peril too, isn't it? God certainly wants us to acknowledge our own mortality, at least far enough to learn what caused it. The wages of sin is death. Our sins have separated us from our creator God, who is life and light. And then only a truthful diagnosis of our human condition can lead to the proper treatment of our human condition. Jesus' own death on the cross in our place is the only true antidote for sin and death. Only Jesus lived the perfect life, and only Jesus died a perfect death. He did not curse God and die, as Job's wife counseled him to do, but Jesus died not bitter, not holding a grudge even against those who put him there on the cross and who now were jeering at him. Jesus died giving a comforting word of promise to a sinner hanging next to him. It was all perfect, down to his very last breath. And Jesus' perfect death was proven to be such by his own resurrection from the dead, just as he promised. Hence, we get the promised treasure to hold on to, to clutch on our own dying day. We can embrace that beautiful cross in our own hands made of dirt. We can die assured that from these ashes, we too shall rise because Jesus says so. And he rose, the first fruits of the resurrection of the body. This is the Lord's promised treasure coming to you in the form of an ashen cross this time. Wear it boldly. Let it encourage your heart and soul to live out the rest of your days meaningfully, joyfully, because he has overcome the world. Not this world, not your sins, not even your adversary, the devil, can rob you of your treasure in Christ. The promise is here for you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light, Jesus tells you. So come to him. Come even now in this penitential season of Lent. Keep coming to him, forsaking your sins. Here is his invitation to you. Luther described this most gracious invitation that the Lord extends, quote, God receives none but those who are forsaken, restores health to none, but those who are sick. Give sight to none but the blind and life to none but the dead. He does not give saintliness to any but sinners, nor wisdom to any but fools. In short, he has mercy on none but the wretched and gives grace to none but those who are in disgrace. Amen to that. So come, ye sinners, be in disgrace no more. Amen. And now may he who by his lavish grace began a good work in you bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Amen.